Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Andrew Morgan. Andrew is an independent consultant with cross-functional expertise in the design, development, and deployment of enterprise-level software systems. Working with various clients, Andrew has been exposed to many different technology stacks, most recently specializing in Java microservices and continuous delivery. Welcome, Andrew. Hi. Nice to meet you guys. Happy to be here. So before we get started in the meat of things, uh, would you give our listeners a little bit more of an introduction to yourself? You know, how, Perhaps tell them how you got started in the industry. Um, yeah, so I actually started off in the computer games industry. So I studied computer games programming at university and then um, kind of got started with that for around a year or so after graduating. Um, around maybe six months or so into working in that industry, I just decided to completely jump ship and move into software. Um, so then I ended up working for Blackboard, um, the uh, you know the university like e-learning software, um, for a couple of years as my first software engineering job. Um, and then after that, kind of moved to London where I worked at an XP based company and kind of began to learn all these interesting engineering practices like pair programming, uh, test driven development, continuous delivery. Um, these were all kind of new concepts to me at the beginning of my career. And then since then, I've worked at, consultancy, worked at a consultancy. And then also after that, as like an independent uh, consultant or a contractor, whatever you call it in the, in the States. Um, and, and I've kind of worked with all sorts of different um, tech stacks and, and clients along that time. So for example, I've done quite a lot of work in FinTech, um, mainly things like Java, Spring Bootstack. Um, also done a little bit of work in aviation, um, created airline booking systems, that kind of thing. Um, and then I'm currently working at a big tech company, uh, which I can't really talk about in that much detail during, that, that, um, during this podcast. Um, but that, that's where I am now. That's awesome. Uh, so even though you can't talk uh, any specifics, but what are the frameworks and what are the kinds of, uh, you know, problems that you're solving and, and, and uh, you know, technology stack that you're working in these days? Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess mainly for more of my personal projects and past experience to the current one um, is primarily Java Spring Boot stack. Um, so I, I love Spring Boot. I think it's a great, framework that makes you able to uh it helps enable you to build software really quickly um and it makes kind of testing the focus of software development which i think is very important and then on the front end stack as well i'm also working a lot with react js um which has been um, something quite recent for me in my current job in the last year and a half so getting up to speed with things like typescript um React is like a rendering framework versus kind of MVC applications that I used to work on before now. Um, so, so that's been interesting. Um, and then 
I guess the other thing is continuous delivery. I, I spend a lot of time automating things, optimizing pipelines, deployment processes, um, creating reliable software that is well tested before it reaches production. Um, and it's something that's shippable to production on a, on a daily basis. It, it, it's something that I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah, you, you mentioned several of the XP principles and, and extreme programming, uh, test-driven development and, and continuous integration, continuous delivery, and, and quality software. Um, those are, are all topics that are near and dear to our hearts uh, and, and primarily uh, on the .NET side of things we are, uh, but also doing a lot with JavaScript and, and primarily a lot with React these days. So uh, it sounds like there's there's a significant overlap in in tech and, and at least um, overall uh, kind of overarching concepts of, of quality and, and, and delivering value through software. Yeah, a lot of a lot of these kind of concepts are language or framework agnostic. You you kind of especially when I learning TypeScript recently, I realized the same kind of principles apply across the board as opposed to being unique to say Java or .NET. I, I came across one of your training sessions on Pluralsight for Wiremock and, and I've had some experience using Wiremock.net in integration projects um, for various companies and, and various projects that I've been working on. I've played a little bit with standalone Wiremock, the Java version uh, for uh, standing in services and, ser and servers that aren't necessarily completed in production yet or, or maybe uh, stand-ins for things like uh, introducing chaos game days and things like that. How did you get involved with, with Wiremock and, and how did you decide that that was something worthy of putting together something for Pluralsight? I worked on quite a lot of systems where why Wiremock wasn't used. And we've run into quite a lot of bugs caused by kind of poor integration testing or, or unit testing, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, but specifically, that would be somebody would create a client library and then they would mock the client library, but then not have a, a layer of testing that actually verifies the, um, the HTTP requests that ultimately get made by that client code. Um, so we, we were seeing a lot of false assumptions um, given by mocks, which then would lead to code being shipped to production in the worst case scenario, or to an end-to-end -end test environment that would replace the mock with the real third-party API, and then we just detect value there. Um, but then, of course, that's still not very good because it's quite a poor feedback cycle. Um, so, that, so then that was kind of how I got into Wiremock. It, it, from, it was more from a unit testing perspective where you could use it to get faster feedback on uh, your, your network calls or your API client. Um, and then once I kind of started using it um, for, for mocking, I then just kind of saw the scope of it grow. Um, so, for example, running Wiremock standalone in a end-to-end -end test environment and then using it to um, inject faults. So maybe introduce latency, uh, get it to start spewing some 5xx error, um, something like that. So it was kind of, I found it really useful for, I guess it's chaos engineering is the term for it. I, I found it really useful um, in that use case too. There's lots of other tools as well that do this. So I guess we're talking about Wiremock, but you have like the um, 
mock service workers, like a, a popular JavaScript one. Um, Hoverfly is something that I uh, contributed to a very long time ago. I don't know if you've run into that. Um, but I, I think generally YMOC's been the one that I've worked with the most, which is why it ended up being the one that I chose to create a, a Pluralsight course about. Perhaps we can take a, a little bit of a step back. For those who are not familiar with it, what, what is Wiremark or Wiremark? Excuse me. Yeah, so it's a stub web server. Um, so you can run it standalone or you can run it as a, um, you can run it programmatically from Java code or .NET code. Um, maybe there's native binding for other languages. Um, and you can use it to stub a, a web server so you can tell it, um, when I make request X, please respond with response Y. Uh, that kind of thing. So if you if you've used a mocking framework, it's very similar to that. The, the main difference being that there is a real web server behind the scenes. You are making a real web request when you communicate with it. Okay, so you've you've mentioned uh, unit testing, integration testing, and end testing with with Wiremock. I, I heard you say standalone, so I'm going to assume that it's something that you can just run, and it basically stands up a server, and then you can hit that server and you get back some kind of response hopefully one you can program but when but because you mentioned unit testing it makes me want to know can it run like in memory as part of your unit test is it something that that can actually be run against a single unit or are you having to stand up like a a decent portion of your application and have this thing running as a secondary process somewhere in java there's a JUnit rule you can use to start the wiremock server and it, all of the code will be embedded in the same processes your unit test, um, but it will be a, a separate web server running from the same process as your test. And, then, and because of that, it's useful because you can use the, um, like the Java API to set up stuffs, um, parse responses, requests that uh, parse responses that have been made to it, that kind of thing um, can all be done programmatically in Java. Okay. And then I guess, I guess a, a follow-up would be, you had, you had said it was a, a stub uh, server uh, does it does it just always return a canned response, or can you say if I send you a one, send me back this response? If I send you a three, send me back that response? Can you can you build logic into the the responses? Yeah, so you can build logic into the responses. Um, the simplest use case would be you give it a specific URL that must be called or a URL path, um, a specific HTTP method. So let's say get host or something like that. Um, and then when that request is matched by um, the client calling Wiremark, you can then tell it to send back a specific response for that request. Um, so an example might be you would tell it when slash current user is called, respond with this JSON, and that JSON might be the user JSON, like a username and an email address, something like that. I don't, I don't know what it would be exactly. So that that's kind of the simplest use case for Wiremock. And then on, on top of that, you have quite a lot of advanced features to be more flexible in how you would respond to different types of requests. And I think you kind of alluded to some of this already, but, you know, what what's the value of using Wiremock here <laughs> as opposed to like just mocking out, you know, right before that 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 HTTP call? surely that's going to be a lot faster. You know, there's less overhead. It's going to be simpler. You can just use another mocking framework or, you know, build that mock out with just like a standard class or whatever whatever you want to do, right? Um, what Where's the value that Wiremock uh, brings to the table? Yeah, so the, the first thing is if you just mock your client code, 
and then that's kind of the the bound that's the boundary of your test is up to there. Then any real web request that would get made by your client doesn't take place during your tests. So if there is some kind of bug, your test would generate uh, essentially a false positive pass that could then lead you to shipping your codes across because your mocks are giving you this false assumption. Um, when you use Wiremark, it's more the, the system's more like production in the sense that you have your input to the system, maybe like a, a web request or a UI or something that the user would use. And then you have your output, which is web request to an external system or external API. Um, so you would be taking a full slice through the system and it, it's very close to production. Whereas, yeah, like I say, if you take this mocking approach, the, the code isn't quite as production-like as it could be in your unit tests, because uh, you can still test this kind of stuff with unit tests, it doesn't have to be an integration test. You, you kind of get the, the most reliable feedback. So so do you ever not use Wiremock? Do you ever still have tests that are just being mocking at the client, or do you always basically mock after that HTTP call? I don't, I don't think there's really a rule about this, but my personal approach is to always use Wiremock. Um, okay. So it's quick enough for you to have that response and that feedback and whatnot, or there's not, not enough extra delay there yeah i guess that's the other thing to consider is you, you have integration tests which are typically slower than unit tests so then the majority of the tests are are unit tests but then if you use something like wiremark and then actually provisioning the server is i don't know how how quick it is but it, it's less than a second it, it, it's negligible in terms of the extra uh, in terms of slowdown so if you just have a unit test and you use Wiremark instead of some mocking framework, the unit tests aren't going to run any slower, um, but they are going to give you more certainty about the, the code on the test. So what about what about a situation where uh, let's say let's say I'm I'm doing uh, React, right? And um, I I think that there's a race condition in my application, so I'm making I'm making two two calls out to some external uh, dependencies uh, APIs. And I think that if the second call comes back before the first one comes back, that that's going to cause a problem. Is there a way that I can test that with my, with Wiremark? Now you got me doing it, Ash. <laughs> is, there, is there a way I can test that with Wiremark? So one, um, just off the top of my head, the way I would do that would be through latency. So you can make one call a lot slower than the other. Um, so then you would make these two calls around the same time and then, yeah, by forcing one of them to be super slow, you can guarantee that it would return seconds. And then that would be a way to reproduce the kind of race condition you're describing. I, how, how difficult is that to set up? I mean, do I just say you're on a 200 millisecond delay and you're going to take a second and a half? Or is, is, is it um, more complicated than that? Um, no, it, it is really simple. So... Wiremark has a DSL um, in Java, which, trans which translates also to a JSON API, depending on how you want to use it. Um, and it is just a simple field, like fault, I can't remember the name of it, like fault or latency or something, and you can just give it a number of milliseconds. Um, that's all you need to do. Okay. Is there is there a way to affect that globally as well? Like, um, uh, like I'm doing some kind of testing, I just want to switch between normal so everything has zero to, to no latency or minimal latency. And then I want to go, oh, I'm in cell phone in a tunnel. 
So everything has like maximum latency. Is there is there like a global setting I can do for that, or does it have to be on each endpoint? I th- I think there is a global setting that allows you to configure latency across the board. I I might be wrong, but I'd say I'm like eighty percent sure that that's the case. And then obviously you have the advantage of being able to do that at runtime as well. So if you do say the example you just gave, simulate maybe a cell phone connection versus a laptop connection on, on Wi-Fi somewhere, you can just easily switch between the two by using the Wi-Mock API or the, the Wi-Mock DTL DSL to do that at runtime. So it, it, it's really powerful in that sense. And, and we've spent a lot of time talking about unit testing and integration testing with Wiremock. And I know there, there are a number of different use cases where you can determine that Wiremock would be a useful tool for you. Uh, Clayton started talking about React, and I thought maybe he was going to go where, where I thought he was going to go, that maybe the, the API, the backend piece hasn't been written yet, or, or we haven't reasoned about it enough. Maybe a, a quick, easy way to prototype something is to stand up a Wiremock server, standalone server. There are even Docker containers that you can interface with directly and post the, uh, I believe you can post the response that you want to get back given a specific request. So you don't even have to write anything up front then other than create a couple of HTTP request calls to stand up the server that you want your React application or whatever application to interface with and, and just maybe a couple of um, Postman collections and you're off and running. Um, yeah, it, it is as easy as that. You can just start a server standalone so it's just an executable jar and then just use the API to post requests and responses. Um, so if you are developing a new application, then yeah, um, Wiremock is a, is, a, is a kind of a quick and easy, easy way to stub the API or to implement the API before it is actually implemented for real. On that, so this is probably a no, but I'm going to shoot for it. Okay, so there's an existing API that already works that you're, that you're calling. You're doing local development, right? So there's new features, right? So there's a new endpoint on that API that's going to be created, but it's not ready yet. Is, 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 is it possible, maybe, in Wiremock to partially take over the responses from that that API that already exists, but you just like, if they call this API, but with with this endpoint, then we're going to return that, but anything else is going to go through to that API? Yeah, so it, it can act as a reverse proxy to uh, the real API um, and do exactly what you just suggested. So some requests can go through to the real API and then... Um, Requests for endpoints aren't yet implemented can be returned by Wiremark using the um, using its uh, stubbing mechanism. Sweet, I'm putting in a dev. <laughs> this seems like uh, I, I know we've often talked about the problem of developing, you know, microservices, and you, you have five other teams that you're working with, and the other services. Like this seems like it could also be a pretty fantastic tool for mocking out those things. Yeah, absolutely. And we we started to touch on a little bit of the usefulness in situations like chaos engineering, uh, simulating faults, introducing latency. Have you had much uh, experience in in dealing with that or, or introducing those types of concepts on any of the projects you you work on, or or what what has your experience been in in that sort of genre? Yeah, so kind of chaos engineering in in general. Uh, my experience hasn't 
been that um I haven't had that much experience. It's more of like a topic I'm interested in. Um but not got to experiment with that much on production systems. But that that being said, I have used Wiremark to do some form of chaos engineering. Um, so the, the latency example is a good one. Um, you can deploy Wiremark to an end-to-end test environment and then get it to stop an API. Um, and then you can uh, inject latency and, and, and see that latency grow. And then by increasing the latency, the client code that is calling Wiremark will then start to uh, essentially slow down as more and more requests become in flight. Um, and then you can then see what kind of bottlenecks you have in your application. So maybe if you have a uh, thread pool, which is calling Wiremark, and then you exhaust all the threads in your pool, then, then your application will fall over. But Wiremark allows you to find that out by introducing the latency. And there's other patterns as well. So, the, the, this is, so there's the, um, the circuit breaker pattern. So... If you're not familiar with that, it's when you might start calling an external API from your client, and then that API starts to spew, I don't know, 500s or something like that. And then rather than propagating that 500 back to your client, you could um, return some sort of cache response instead. You recently trip the circuit. Wimock is a pretty useful tool to test that um, by using it to start spewing. 500 errors to make your circuit breaker kind of trip and then can verify that it functions as you expect. So that's kind of the other, those are kind of the two areas that I use Wiremark for kind of chaos testing. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And we've I've grabbed some links that we'll be sure to include in the show notes on the Wiremark uh, documentation on proxying and record and playback. It looks like there's a legacy way to do it and a newer way to do it and interfacing with JUnit 4 and JUnit 5 plus. Uh, so all kinds of great stuff. What, what else? What, is, are there any other things that we've missed? Are there uh, specific features that you have utilized or used with great excitement? Are there things that you want others to, to be sure to, uh, to, to dive into, to learn about, uh, to, to explore on their own? So I think recording playback is another interesting one um, because what, what we spoke about so far was programmatically generating Wiremark stuffs, whether that's using the, the Java kind of DSL or the hosting to the API directly to configure responses for certain requests. Um, with the recording playback, what you do is communicate with the so you would communicate with the real api and then wiremark would sit in sit in the middle as a reverse proxy and then as you're in as you're calling that api and all the traffic's being proxied through mymark wiremark will record all the requests and responses that are made and once you've completed that recording you will get a like a json file which contains contains all the data you recorded and then that can then be used by Wiremark to um, to stub that API going forward. So one yeah, what one useful place where um, I've done that in the past is if I'm creating a unit test, I might um, point to the real API and use Wiremark to record the request and response. 
Um, and then once my unit test is green using the recording against the real API, I'll then switch that record back into playback mode. And then um, that then becomes kind of a quick way of simulating the API. Sometimes the API as well might not be, sorry, a use case for this would be if the API is not deterministic. So um, I would get a different response for each request for making the same request multiple times. Um, I can just record the first request and response and then just play back that recording going forwards. So then I can easily create these deterministic tests without this manual effort of having to uh, create the stuff myself. Yeah, is there is there a way to like automate that? I would imagine. Yeah, so in in the um, with the Java DSL for Wiremark, I think you can pretty easily switch it between record and playback modes. Um, so record mode would just be, uh, I think, just one or two lines of Java code or Java config. But if, of course, the other advantage is mistakes as well. So if you manually create these request response stubs, then you might make a mistake and then that mistake leads to your tests having false assumptions again. Um, whereas if you record a real API, you know that your stubs are going to be as accurate as possible. Do you have to have a different wire mock instance for each external API that you are trying to mock out? So like if I've got three different services I connect to, do I have to have three different wire mocks to connect to those services? It depends how you want to do it. So if you want a literal separate web server for each service, then you would have um, separate instances of Wiremocks. And then they would each, uh, depending on how you're running it, maybe they'd all be running on local host, but with a different port number. Um, you could also have one Wiremock, which would be local host and just the same port number, but then just configure different base URLs for all of your services. So you might have slash server one and then all of your URL paths and slash server two, all of your URL paths. And it would just be um, configuring your application code to tell it to point to Wiremock get some path instead of the original original URL of your service. I'm liking the way this tool sounds. John's never told me about it. I'm jealous. Or I'm mad. I'm angry. <laughs> this is pretty sweet. Yeah, it sounds sounds like endless possibilities out there. Uh, whether whether you're in the Java world, in the .NET world, and, and working with a port, or working just over HTTP with any standalone version in Docker. So so uh, have we have we missed anything? Have we covered enough? Uh, of course, we'll provide all kinds of links in the show notes. Uh, anything else that um, you want others to be sure to uh, to, to research, to look into? Anything we might have missed so far? Uh, I guess the other interesting thing is templating. So you can dynamically generate a response based on data in the request. What would an example be? Let's say I had a URL where I retrieve the user by email address. When I get the user, the user's um, the user JSON in the response, then the value of the email address field could be configured to be the same as the email address that was provided in the URL. And so pulling data out of the request and putting it into the response really makes it a lot easier to create something that's more like the production API um, without actually having to implement it. Are there any particular resources that you would uh, point our listeners to who are looking to get started 
uh, or me specifically, to looking to get started to learn more about Wiremock. Uh, I know we've mentioned your uh, plural site. To hopefully talk about that and then any other ones. Yeah, so wiremock.org is just the homepage for the for the for the tool. It's actually got quite comprehensively documented. So if you do want to get started with it, reading these docs would be um, a good place to do so. Um, as well as that, there's another tool called MockLab. Um, so I, I kind of have no affiliation with this, but it's created by Tom Akers, who is also the creator of Wiremock. Uh, a great guy if you ever get the chance to um, speak to him at some point in the future. Um, and it, it's basically a SaaS that allows you to run Wiremock simulations in the cloud. So you, you log in, you create an account with GitHub or um, whatever, and then you can just upload Wiremock requests and responses to a web UI. And then that will then launch on some um, some domain that gets generated for you. And then you can point your application to it. Um, so it, it, it's quite a useful tool to have if you don't want to have to manage your own uh, YMOC instances. Awesome. Can't wait to get started. Um, we're going to need to write all that down because after this, Ash is going to look up watermark.com <laughs> and he's not going to find it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is why we, we record a few extra minutes and splice in words. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? So I, I find Martin Fowler's books, learning resources, online resources and blogs um, brilliant. I would say out of all the kind of thought leaders, I've learned the most from Fowler than, than anyone else. Um, so if you are looking to get started in the industry, follow what Martin Fowler has said. Um, and there's a lot of older material out there, stuff, stuff that's like, you know, pre noughties or early noughties, but it's still really, really relevant today, a couple of de- decades later. As well as that, I would, I would look into XP development and try and get your head around things like, uh, pair programming, test driven development, CI, CD, because these are all these these kinds of concepts of what allow you to ship code frequently and for your code to be free of bugs. It's 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 a little strange in our industry where we all kind of we all know that this is how to build software effectively, but it's very rare to see organisations actually implementing those principles principles. Um, but I, I'm very kind of dogmatic about that being the right way to build software, and I've. So I yeah I would I would look into those. Foresight is also a great learning resource if you want to check out my course or any other course on Foresight. It, it, it's um, the, the material on there I think is is very good. And then also I I would say the uh, if you're developing in Java, learning this Spring framework is a very good way of learning good engineering practices in general. And um, I find um, I find that I've learned a lot of kind of enterprise patterns, if, if that's the way you want to put it, through writing code in Spring, um, which I may not have picked up on if had I used some other Java framework or whatever to build applications. I just think there's a lot of good engineering practices in that framework. Um, so, so it's a good one to learn to just get better in general. So where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Um, so you can follow my Pluralsight courses. So um, we'll share a link for that 
um, afterwards. And you can also follow me on Twitter. Um, to be honest, maybe I've been a little inactive recently since I've been working for this tech company. I can't kind of speak publicly as much as I used to in the past. Um, but most of my thoughts can be seen um, online on Twitter. Andrew, this has been an absolute blast. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us tonight. Um, we'll be sure to include links to everything that we can in show notes uh, and links to you on Twitter and your course on Pluralsight and uh, all the great resources that you added. Thanks again and uh, appreciate it. Thanks thanks so much. Awesome. Thank, thanks very much for um, inviting me to the show. And I've enjoyed it. Nice to meet you guys. That was Andrew Morgan. Andrew is an independent consultant with cross-functional expertise in the design, development, and deployment of enterprise software systems. Working with various clients, Andrew has been exposed to many different technology stacks, most recently specializing in Java microservices and continuous delivery. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 